what we've agreed is that it's really important for us to find our ikigai, to be the people that we want to be in this world, to add value to the most people that we can and live the way that we want to live. So I think that is our guiding light. I think we're really using money as a resource to say, okay, well, who who has what money right now? And how can we use that in a really smart way so that it supports all of us in a way that, that works? Okay. It's gonna be really emotional. There is no loss for being honest. The real work of life is the work that we do inside ourselves. The responsibility we feel towards the world, like questioning, challenging, say something. It's raw and vulnerable and open conversation. That was the best part. I'm scared of the friendship. Taking a breath. Just talk. Shame and guilt, vulnerabilities. <laughs> that was about to say What does it really mean to be friends? We trust the real work that we do is overcoming our insecurities every day and learning how to love more. It has examples of the change we want to see in the world. Just talk. taking a breath. So if we just take a breath. Well, my face is on fire from the doctors. <laughs> to have healthier relationships with women, they need healthier relationships with other men. The real work of life is the work that we do inside ourselves. So I'm in an open relationship with my husband, and my husband and I sold our house 10 months ago. We have twins that are four years old, we travel around the world, and this is my boyfriend. Hi! <laughs> Perfect! Hi. Thank you so much for listening to Amory Podcast. One of the things that you've probably heard me say over the course of this podcast is that all relationships are learning vehicles. You've also probably heard me say that the learning path of polyamory is pretty steep. And one of the things that we have to deal with, all of us at different moments, are the feelings of jealousy. And that's why I'm so excited to share that we've newly released our online program called Transforming Jealousy. This is a lot of our learnings all packed into dozens of unique audios that you'll only hear in that course, as well as writings, some journal things, um, some of our fellow Amory community members sharing their perspectives and learnings on jealousy. And it's also continuing to grow as we continue to learn and add more. We would love for you to check it out. You can take a look at what we've included in there in the program by clicking on the link of our Instagram bio or going to emerypodcast.com. And you can take a look at um, that program, Transforming Jealousy, as well as the accompanying webinars. Now there are webinars that we'll do uh, between one and three a week, and those will be included for free when you purchase the online program, Transforming Jealousy. There are also standalone webinars if you're kind of like, oh, I need a little tweak here with processing my fears and, oh, I really want to understand why it's so important for me to become aware of my own needs and wants in the relationship so that I can move through my jealousy quicker. All of those and more will be available as webinars and included in the the program Transforming Jealousy. If you can't tell, I'm super excited. I personally poured a lot of my own learnings into there and I'm so happy to share with you. I hope that it supports you on your learning curve of practicing polyamory or exploring open relationships. Also remember that we do offer one-on-one coaching, so please reach out to us um, via direct message on Instagram if you'd like to set up a coaching program. Otherwise, we're happy to share learnings for free in this podcast. So we hope that you enjoy and thank you so much for spending a little time with us.
Welcome to another episode of Amory, and this time we're going to talk about polyeconomics. I think this is a conversation around money. So everybody has their their world of money, and money is a, in and of itself its own beast. And we have been we've grown up with indoctrinations. We're going to talk about. We've grown up with orientation of money based on power dynamics and self-worth and identity and all that we're going to talk about because everybody has to go through that. And we had to go through that to leave the United States to get where we are. And now we're polyamorous, minimalists, travel the world. We are living a much smaller footprint. We are moving towards the type of income we need to do this stuff indefinitely as a collective and then individually. And we have futures in mind. It's an exciting transformation, but we've been going through this process of transformation and it's tied to polyamory because really it's, we had to change our construct about everything. And I think the old ways of thinking about money didn't serve us. And the way that we think about money now and how we cooperate with each other has been really different. And we've also, Megan, had a lot of people comment yeah. on the channel about what Thank you, everybody, thinking. for your, your feedback on that. I was really impressed that most of the community answered yes, that they do talk about money. So I think that that says a lot about the poly community, that they know a really foundational part of a good relationship is open communication, and that includes talking about money. I, I was listening back to one of our old episodes, and I said, I think at this point it's easier for me to talk about sex than it is to talk about money. And I think that that's pretty true of most of the world, that it's almost more likely that you can have a comfortable conversation about sex or sexual preferences, and it could be even harder talking about money. Maybe that was just me, though. It's possible. It's possible. Yeah. To me, as soon as you say that, I think about we'll both involve getting fucked. <laughs> Maybe. <Yeah. laughs> and I feel like my money journey is best described by my not yet written biography called unravel from wall street to polyamorous farmer <laughs> that's perfect just shows the wide span of my experience of money well i think it's so interesting we talk about kyle you and i early on in our relationship use the word orientation a lot like what's our orientation to this or that and i think our orientation to money was very much the societal norm which is what you're taught growing up and that everything is to make money you go to a good school so that you can get a good job so that you can make a lot of money. It's like money is the aim of life instead of now how I view it is that it's a resource so that we can do the things that we want to do and be the people that we want to be. So I had an Indian father. So I grew up with the money conversation since I could talk. And the conversation was always like, you're going to make a lot of money, right? Money your first. <laughs> it's like one of my first memories is how much money are you going to make? Right? And I, I think about that, like throughout my childhood, my dad was always trying to groom me for like, learn how to play golf because deals are made on the golf course. And I knew how to make a martini when I was like nine, right? Like there was ridiculous amount of grooming that was he was attempting, mm -hmm. which was just not working at all, but he was attempting to groom me for making money. So I remember car rides where I'd be checked out and he'd be like, well, how much money do you want to make that? Do you want to make $30,000 a year? I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. He's like, that's nothing. God damn it. How about $100,000 a year? I'm like, okay, that's better. I'll do that. Right? Like, I don't fucking know. Like, I don't give a fuck. Right? <laughs> I just want to watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Leave me alone, dad. <laughs> well, it's funny, Marty, because I feel like when I met you, which was not too long ago, just two years ago, I feel like you were going through this process of reorienting yourself to money. Because I think at that time you talked a lot about money and how much you were earning or trying to earn, or you were 
I think working through that process of valuing yourself based on income. Yeah. So the problem I think now that even you've said that in this moment is that I, I've always been struggling to create an orientation to money that works. I've done that my entire time, all while hating money, right? (laughs) Like I don't really actually give a fuck about money. And that's been my problem for a long time because I pursue projects for the pursuit of the project and always like, yeah, we can finagle some money out of it, but it's always some so complicated sometimes by other people and just things that I never cared about. Like I fucking hate taxes, not because I hate paying taxes. I hate the paperwork. What the fuck in the United States, right? At the end of the day, like it's more, I just want to get into the guts of it and do things. And Mm -hmm. the money is always needed to be the byproduct, but it was always supposed to like put in front of me as the primary thing I needed to do. And it just never aligned with me. Mm -hmm. So actually I was looking for my value and I was looking for my value against this money, but I also think I was being valued by how much money I made. Right. And that was driving me insane. So even my dad, like what I did when we left for Brazil, Megan, mm-hmm. is I, I had a huge fight with my dad because all my dad would talk about is money, money, money. And I just sold the house and just gave him half. He's helped us out a lot. And I gave him half of the fucking proceeds back. We paid that. Like I did this to get the fuck out of the hemorrhaging of the money that was going on because we just couldn't keep up. Yeah. All right. And I was good, just getting piled on that I need to make more money. I'm just like, fuck off for a little while. I'm taking a break. Mm. And it's funny you say, you talk about you learned money through your dad, because I definitely feel the same. And I started my own consulting business four or five years ago. And it was really hard at first. You know, I wasn't making any money. I didn't have any clients. I had to go figure that out. So there were like really dry times where I wasn't making any money. And I think my conversations with my dad specifically had always been around my career And as like a conversation starter, almost of like what we would talk about. And I just remember the conversation started getting really difficult because I didn't have in truth a lot to to show for my efforts of trying to be an entrepreneur. And my dad never was an entrepreneur, so he couldn't really relate. He's always been a professional. And I think that caused a really big struggle. And it's funny now in hindsight, because he he looks at me and he said, you know, Kyle, at that time, I, I know you were struggling, but I wanted to give you space. But even in him giving me space, air quotes, he, his first thing he would say is, are you making money? Mm-hmm. That would just, it would be the only thing that he could mm-hmm. really understand. How are you doing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. relates to like, <laughs> how much money are you making? Five grand, you must be healthy. You're making two grand. What the fuck's wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The how are you doing is the, yeah. Are how you, much how much you money are you making? Oh, I have an interesting question for you. So I did a little research by going back and listening to podcast or Emory episode number four, because I knew at the end of that episode, Marty and I had a conversation about money. And I knew that that one was a triggering conversation for me. And I haven't listened to it, honestly, maybe since we recorded it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go back and listen to it. And I, I liked an analogy that I used. I talked about money. I like personified money. If money was a person and you were in a relationship, let's say you've been in a relationship your whole life with money. You know, money is this other partner. Describe that relationship as if it's a person, how it was before and how it is now or your relationship to that person. Does it make sense? I can, no, give, you, hard, I can give you my example if you need time, but yeah, yeah. For me, it was in the episode, I described it as 
it was a dysfunctional relationship where I was like, all right, money, who do I need to be for you to be with me? I'll be anything. Yeah, I'll be anything. (laughs) What do you need me to do? I mean, especially can't be me. I can't just be me and have you around. It's like I have to morph myself into whatever you need me to be so that I can keep you around. And I'm afraid that, you know, if you leave, you'll leave forever. And I got to like hold on to you. That was my relationship to money. I don't know. I think my relationship to money was combative in the sense that I just think what you just said to what you just said about your dad. I was thinking about my mom because my mom, after my parents divorce, started her own painting, wallpaper, all that company. And I worked for my mom. My mom was notoriously bad with money and she was bad with money because she's really great at her work. Who was like perfectionist and never charged enough. I collected money from her from customers that got stupid, like threatened in these lines to pay what they fuck need to pay. My mom overworked a project and it's beautiful. And she'd be like, oh, one thing is out of place. And she'd be like drinking and done with money. Right. And I always think like my mom was overly generous, but that's my problem too. Is like mm-hmm. I've never really wanted, I wanted to help people. And I can always, I've negotiated $500 an hour rates before. And I, but I've also, now I'm like, pay me what you want per hour. If it's ten dollars an hour, I'm only gonna work for so long before I'm gonna be like, fuck this, not worth the effort. If it unless it's like someone just getting started that I really want to work with because they've got something really great, but I have to want to work on the project too. And then they have to prove to me that the project has resources <laughs> and that, that so that they have a budget to carry out on the things that we talk about doing. And so like these are all new relationships to how I earn the money, but I get to choose like you get to pick how much you pay me and I don't worry about it. Mm. So that's like this new relationship is I'll get paid and I'll earn what I need to earn and people will want to pay me, but I don't have to worry about negotiating this amount. Like if this negotiation, if, if someday I have to worry about it, you're going to be like, well, I overpaid. I'm fucking done. I don't want to do mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. So it's, so it's re- like a healthy open. It's, it feels open. Yeah. I have an open relationship <laughs> with money now too. Oh <laughs> yeah. Nice. How about you, Kyle? Yeah. I, I don't know if I'll be able to answer your question as beautifully as you two just did, but when I think about money, I just maybe bipolar. That could be how I, I relate to money. Bipolar meaning that I literally had my identity built around money. As a young kid in my teenage years, I was like managing money in, in the stock market. I was like not enjoying my childhood. I was like investing in the stock market and reading the Wall Street Journal. I was like a serious kid. And that to me, allowed control and that allowed like my expertise in math and all these things. My identity was built around money and my ability to make more money and manage it. And as that identity started to break down and I started to enter into what was real life and working in finance and I hated it, there were so many things that were tied to money that started getting disrupted as well. You know, and and then I also, on the other running in parallel to that is I had really wealthy friends that I grew up with, that I spent time with, I hung out with rich white guys and they always had more money than I did. It was, I could never keep up. And so for many years I would try to keep up with them and I went into debt. I went into personal debt and my credit cards to do that. And it was really shameful. It was really embarrassing. It was really, there's a wound there around money like that. I didn't manage myself well. And I was also in an environment trying to be someone that I wasn't. So I think it's like bipolar, these two different things where like I, you know, was like was totally in control and then I was out of control and neither of those worked. So I think I just scrapped the whole thing now and I start to think about what do I feel valuable doing? And I think of like the future for me is like I think about being an artist and I think about, yeah, you pay me what you what you think, like you pay me what you think is valuable. And 
I started to look at different ways of how I can be valued, not just like per hour or per project. It's just, I'm playing with new ideas. And I think one of the biggest ones that helps me is that there is this orientation that we bring from the old world that is the old way of doing things. I think that a lot of people do, which is like your earning years between 25 and 65, this 40 year block of time that you have to earn and you have to like earn a lot in certain parts of your career when you're like, you know, really killing it. I don't know if it's like in your forties and your fifties that you really have to like accelerate. You have to be on this upward trend. And I think when I really decided in my head that I don't ever want to retire, I don't ever want to be like bored. I don't want to just be playing golf on a golf course all day. Like I want to be doing things. I want to be creating. I want to be valuable and receiving things for value my whole life. So if I don't have this short window of time, even though it's like 40 years and I don't have to do it the way that people do it, which is like accelerating to certain rates, I can just plug away and I can do the work that I want to do in the moment and just slowly kind of build up whatever it is over time. Yeah, it's that flow that you want to create over time. But so this is, I think, a good time to say we have thrown out the book on standard constructs of how we look at money now. Mm -hmm. We'll reveal everything as, yeah. as it's appropriate, I think, in this. So we're going to tell you guys, really, the audience, what we really about how our lives have worked and how they're working now and mm -hmm. our, where our financial situation is now. I think it's interesting we're to wrap this final thought, though, about our relationship to money, because as it relates to being in poly relationships, we're not only in a relationship with a person, you know, multiple people, multiple partners. We're in a relationship with them and their relationship to money. It's really interesting because we can all relate to money differently. And then we have to bring, figure out how do we bring it together. And I do believe even though we're going to share our own journey and where we're at, everything else, our standard disclaimer around our Emory conversations is that we do it differently. Like there's no right or wrong way that there's so many different ways to organize this. And it's really about meeting each other's different needs. Yeah. So I was about to say. Before you wrapped up the part, I wasn't done wrapping up. Oh, I thought you were going to jump to a different topic. No. I was like, wait, no, I'm not done with this no. topic. You suck. <laughs> All right. It doesn't help if I've smoked a little weed before we start up and you do that type of shit. And then I'm like, where the fuck were we? a train of thought. The fuck was we were talking about, Megan? I can't go back and play that now. Thank you. Let's, let's, Thanks for wrapping can. up. We oh, can okay. go back and play. No. All right. So I, th I know one of the things that I, I really wanted to get to that really sparked off of what Kyle was saying is we have now in the deconstruction of our lives and in the construction of our polyamorous lives all challenged some of these things like earning years, right? And what that actually means and this false identity that you can earn like that in this economy. There are very few people that can earn like that. And that might be the very good construct for the white male, you know, in your position at your age, but it's not really gonna work for a lot of people. And these aren't even earning years, these are like survival years. And now we've gone through and we've challenged retirement plans. We've challenged how we earn income, how we share our bills, how you were, saying ahead of me, how we relate to one another and how <laughs> Kyle comes into this dynamic and what our past identities were relating to money. But we've really now at this present moment, we've cashed out policies. We've sold our house. I cleared debt differently. We still have debt. You know, we have different incomes. We have different values. Like we were saying earlier, it's not all equal and fairness isn't equal and it's different at different times. And and how we relate to one each one of these things. But I, I really feel like it's important to know that we've, we're not following some of these rules anymore that we were given. Mm -hmm. 
right? And my father also gets into these points of like, well, how are you, how are you making money? I'm like, well, one of the things that we're doing is not spending it like everybody else is. Right. Right. So like here comes the minimalist part and living like we live. We cut our costs by selling everything. We plugged hemorrhages in our finances, helped my dad fund his retirement, sharing back some of the resources he heavily paid into, then really changing how much we spend per money by leaving the most expensive place we were to go on this quote air quotes dream trip around the world, which really cost us 25% of what it costs us to live in Chicago. And we have better health care and better costs of medicine and all these other things that are available to us, cheaper insurance, the whole nine yards by doing what we're doing. So part of this conversation is about how you just break all of these rules that you were in. And polyamory, I think, helps us because it's deeply intertwined in how we are, how transparent we are. The idea of being equal isn't always fair. There's no, you can't always be, it's never equal, but it can still be fair. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. And I think about equal... Because when you first said that to me, I was like, mm, I have a problem with that. Like I, because I want equality for everything and in, in every in every aspect of life. But I think if your needs and wants are met, I don't think it matters about equal. Right. You know? I'm not, not talking about race. I'm talking about yeah, <laughs> most money. of other things. No like money. Like when we're, that's exactly it. The way I see it is this. If we're all collectively paying to the center and that covers our nut and we all make more than that, then we have the ability to maintain our own lives, pay down some debt. And if one of us gets into a jam or perhaps gets an opportunity that's unbelievable, but it requires an investment in themselves for six months, the rest of us can carry it because not all contributions are financial, mm -hmm. right. right? There are lots of other ways to contribute to a household and to a collective group. And for me and you, Megan, we've had to rewire a lot of, of our money work. A lot. And I think go through some of the trauma that was connected to money because we've had closed businesses. We, in our past, uh, didn't have to declare bankruptcy, but we did. We got very close to it. That like we I had did to my heal a lot. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I performed our own bankruptcy without actually without going bankrupt. Actually, mm -hmm. I just did all the negotiation directly instead yeah. of hiring an attorney and declaring it. Yeah, which is interesting because I think with our old paradigms of money, of what we thought we were aiming for and why, it got us into this bind where money was traumatic. And now I feel like the rewiring of the relationship with money is, you know, a much healthier one. What do I actually need? How do we work together? And I, I think one of mine was I have to do it all by myself. It's like money only counts if I make it and I have to do it. And it was this like fierce independence. And now that's obviously not the case. I haven't worked really over the last two years. I have through Amory and I'm very grateful with that. I consider Amory my, my work. And that's shifted around my value. So the way that I see myself in the world now is actually I'm valued for who I am, like who I am naturally, what I have to do. There's no more pimping myself out. <laughs> now it's like, oh, hey, I get to be this person and it's valued in the world. So I'm so, so, so grateful for what Amory has shown me of who I can be and that that actually can be full circle. It was an easy journey for you. Fuck no. I was going to say <laughs> that. that. I was, was going to so Okay. So what I was going to do. One of the things that we had to do when do we left. Remember? For, yeah. yeah. Go for it. Yes. We sold the house in Chicago and we mm -hmm. left. You were still all fucked up about money as much as I was. I want to put it out there. a long time. Except for I related to the fact that I turned my company over. I gave my brother 30% of the company. We left in February. That didn't actually complete until June. I paid down 
some of the debt got my company out of any sort of financial threat because we were operating basically without debt or in the inside of our recurring revenue, changed our financial structure. I only took $500 a month from my company to start. And now I'm only taking $1,000 a month from my company to start. But I bill a little bit more than that because I do one-on-one client stuff with digital strategy and I do these more advanced contracts and things on my own. And I make whatever I make, I make, Mm -hmm. right? But before, when I left, I was fucked up. I was like, I couldn't answer emails because I was everything felt like deadlifting 500 pounds. I felt guilty for giving my brother the burden of this company. I didn't look at it as like a benefit to him, even though he saw it as a benefit. I didn't even heal that until we went to mm-hmm. South America and everybody was like, you're not poisoning him. I had to break through all of that. Mm-hmm. I wasn't actually healthy until we got back from Chicago the first time. And that's where you were still struggling with. And we shot that fourth episode, which mm-hmm. is around the idea of starting Amory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was going to recall something, but I also tie in my own story to be also vulnerable. For me, five years ago, before I started my company, I was making six figures. And I think I had like worked my way up to getting to achieve that after struggling like early in my career. And then I was miserable again. Like I was miserable with the level of stress and the amount of hours that that took. And I was like, this is just not, I can't sustain this. Like my health is suffering. That was actually when I weighed the most I've ever weighed. And and I was drinking all the time, all that. So I had to literally unwind that I am this price tag, that that my time, Mm -hmm. my year of time or my attention is $10,000 a month or $100,000 a year. Like, that was really hard to let go of. Mm-hmm. And I think what I when I tell that story for you is because I think when you had to, when you created Amory, which is really like in an entrepreneurial journey, of mm-hmm. course, but also a very unique one in, in building this platform and creating content and totally changing what you've, what you've known and done as someone that's been an employee. I think it's something that you had to reorient your value. And I think you were struggling early on, even when Marty was pushing to have ads that I think would make dollars early on. And, and but there was still like this momentum. Yeah, there was a breakdown. Creating. Yeah, there was a momentum. Yeah. So I my own journey, you're right. I had to unravel my identity from how much I made a month, who I was in the <laughs> world was tied to how much I was making. And I also had that same thing too, because I had placed so much value, my own self value and worth on making a certain amount. And I remember when we were selling, I sold real estate for like 10 years and getting a $10,000 check at the end of the sale was like, fuck yeah, all right, got it. And I'd gotten used to that. And then even when I was facilitating and getting paid $1,500 a day, there was like some sense, even though I was I was doing stuff I didn't want to do. I was speaking someone else's words in front of a group of people. I was talking about leadership in a way that was not my own. And it was like sickening to a point for me to go, I'm capable of something and it's not this, but this is what I'm making money at. So it was like unraveling that and then starting Amory where we would just have, we would have patrons sign up. And I felt like it was hard to be grateful for that and see that as valuable because I had so much tied up around a certain dollar amount. Let me add some context to this. Amory is about how many months old? Nine, ten months? Maybe Nine ten or ten months. months. When uh-huh. we started Amory, I made sure we had ads in here. Like I carried a lot of the infrastructure to keep you going because the idea was to give you a year runway. This is our agreement. Mm-hmm. And runway means. Runway. So enough money. We've, we've saved enough money from the sale of our house and the clearing of insurance policies to give a one-year 
with insurance policies, we gave ourselves a two-year runway. Mm-hmm. So Meaning this point, we have two years, wait, to get our income back up, to get yeah. my income back up, to get Amory off the ground. But we only made like $20, $15 the first month and mm-hmm. the first months because I had the one ad running. And you make ads per thousands of listens. And we're at dozens of listens. And like, you know, then it's hundreds. hundreds then, it, you know, then it gets uh-huh. to thousands. And, and you know, as we approach three, 4,000 listens a month, it becomes something that like we're running one ad. So it's making no money on that. So Patreon comes in. And in the beginning, Megan's like, well, I, I should be making this amount of money. And I'm like, dude, you have to make dollars before you make tens of dollars, before you make hundreds of dollars, before you make thousands of dollars, before you make tens of and on. Mm-hmm. And I think really what that breakdown to witness mm-hmm. was just you being kind of entitled. Totally. Right? Totally. I was so fucking entitled for like, I'm this person and I make this much money and that's who I am. And like letting that go. I'm a street kid and I am like, I hustled when I was, I didn't give a fuck. I made money throwing parties. I made, I had never had a problem making money. I never cared about making money Mm -hmm. was my problem. And I never didn't save. I didn't fucking have any good habits because I was always in survival mode. I was always upside down. Mm -hmm. And so where my history takes a big turning point there are two main events, two main periods. They happened at the same time, but one didn't occur to me later. When my client committed suicide, my friend, I was crushing my contracts at that time. Digital Ninja had several employees. We had this good trajectory. And I had like $8,000 a month in coaching contracts on my own. And I was miserable. And I was dying and chasing more. And I was going after investment from uh, someone in my family essentially it's loaded that i was gonna that's helped me out before and so i thought this was this is the best pitch i had and then and my friend kills himself and i go into this state of my friend that killed himself was a partner at a huge firm he was responsible for 35 billion dollars of their portfolio this guy had 110 exotic cars in his life this is the richest person i've probably ever hung out with and worked with and become friends with and he was never satisfied like this end this just a tragedy in his life because that you've even said how none of it fulfilled him at all. So I'm sitting here chasing the same shit and he kills himself. And I'm sitting here like, what the fuck am I doing? And I couldn't think about it anymore. My heart was out of it. And I changed Mm -hmm. and I gave up all of those consulting contracts. I changed my company. I shrunk it down, changed the whole model of it and started basically wandering. And then you got really frustrated with me Mm -hmm. because I basically just shot my golden goose. I was just done. I couldn't do it anymore. But that time too, we were totally underwater with, we knew that we couldn't sustain the life that we had. We couldn't afford the house that we had. We couldn't afford the life that we had. And, and I had was, said it and I called it out. I'm like, I'm done carrying. I'm done uh-huh. borrowing for it. I'm done doing all this shit. It's on you, Megan. You got three months. Mm-hmm. And at the end of three months, you're in charge. And if you want to sell the house, you sell the house. You want to rent the house. You want to rent, you want to do whatever the fuck you want. You're in charge. You and my father who wants all of this input on it, you guys can make the decisions. I will do whatever the fuck you want. And I remember, I remember because I was obviously pretty new in, in both of your lives at this time, six months into it. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, oh man, this, because I remember just the pressure mm-hmm. that I know that you were feeling to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And Megan, yeah. I mean. yeah, yeah, for mm-hmm. Megan. And I knew that I, I knew something was going on with you, but I, we obviously were not even anywhere near the, the place right. that we are now. I was literally wandering the city with my laptop and a backpack, walking like 10, 20 miles in a day, just 
whatever. And if I had to take care of business, I hop out my hotspot, sit down, crack open my laptop, knock it out and keep moving. And I was just like Mm -hmm. wandering Mm -hmm. and I was feeling looking at street art, having conversations, like just in the parks, doing whatever the fuck I wanted to do. Because at the end of the day, I was like, I've tried to think my way out of everything. Nothing's working. I'm fucking done. I'm burnt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was now I look back and that was the time that I say everything was beautifully falling apart. But I remember that when you basically handed the baton to me, it was like, I am done making the money. I'm done making the amount that we need to keep this lifestyle going. It's your turn. Tap your it. And I folded under the pressure. In one I just, day. But I wasn't able to even I was like, this isn't even possible. I don't even know how to make this much. And in one. Yeah. So, so this was the exact point. That I had so much gratitude and understanding of what you had been under, like the stress that you had been under for years. But that was by design. Yeah. So I essentially did this knowing that you would take this baton and probably crack. And I, I watched you do it. You took it for a day. At the end of the day, you looked at me in a total panic attack and said, I don't know how the hell I'm going to come up with all this money that we don't have in this amount of time. And I'm panicking. I'm like, okay, take this feeling that you have right now and think about, I've had that 15 out of 30 days of every month for the last 15 fucking years. Mm. I'm done. Mm -hmm. Something's got to give. Something's got to change. And I remember the second thing, the second most important thing that I realized is when I've gotten, I couldn't understand why I could not get investment from the same people that have given me bail until I determined that my family will only give me bail. No one will ever invest in me because I'm like the family fixer. And if something goes wrong, I go and handle this shit, no matter what the fuck is going on. And I'm good to have around. I'm savvy to have around, but, I, but I'm not good to capitalize in because I'm a risk. So I realized this with my godfather, who's a wealthy man. And I sat down with him and I realized one day, I'm like, you know what? I realized you never capitalize me. It's good that you wouldn't capitalize me. You would have capitalized the wrong dream. Mm. I'm like, but I do know you'd give me bail because you wouldn't let me fall down. So I'm came, I come for bail, not for capital. And I need eight grand. And he wrote me a check for eight grand on the spot. Hmm. And I realized in that moment that my family will only give me bail. They will never capitalize me. I've always been upside down. So it's been my whole life that I was like kind of under this thumb of seeing that there's this carrot dangled of capital, but what it really is is bail for when I fail and then there's this control in it and I'm done with mm-hmm. that and I'm breaking it all down. Mm-hmm. And then I got rid of all of the threads. Yeah. I owe very few things to very few people. Yeah. Selling the house was one of the best things that we did and getting that, just that pure relief of, of not having to carry that anymore. So we kind of described the world of where we were at and that pressure that we felt before. And I think kind of juxtaposing that with how we feel presently, you know, how, what is our structure right now? How do we talk about finances right now? What is that? I think we've got a lot of really beautiful philosophies happening. And and then also, what does that mean for our future? Because I think if people are new to the realm of polyamory, or I kind of think about the different ways that people might be relating and having these money conversations, you might have a new person that you're seeing. And obviously when you go out and you just kind of split costs, that's, that's one thing, but as your partnerships deepen and so does the involvement with the finances. So I think that's currently where we're at right now. Small anecdote, side note. (laughs) Remember when we took Megan out to dinner at that Mexican restaurant in Chicago and realized that if we split the check two ways between us, she's actually cheaper collectively for us because (laughs) if we went on a date, We'd have to pay for two full people. Oh, this yeah. way, I only have to pay for a person and a half. Yeah. <laughs> that was like the first moment of poly economics that was like, this is cheaper. 
works. <laughs> this works. Yeah. <laughs> of course, this is in the misogynistic construct that we both but had to pay for. You guys are paying female. for me. But yeah. like, it works the other way too. You two mm-hmm. could pay for me, and then it's only a person and a half, and uh-huh. I'm fine with that. Yeah. I've yeah. always desired a sugar mama, but yeah, we're we're not there yeah. yet. No. But yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, I think where we're at now, going from one orientation to another, I think all three of us have cleaned up a lot of our own you know, skeletons with money. And I think now I'm able to visually look at my bank account, which I hadn't been able to for years. And now I'm finding that there are people trying to fraudulently do shit to me, different Mm -hmm. companies and whatnot, which is great. Yeah. I think what we've figured out now is, is some kind of system based on literally where we're at financially. And then we're all trying to contribute not only money, but different things to this collective you know we're all living in a house right now together yeah so for an example amory is megan's income right now right Mm -hmm. and kyle and i don't make any money on amory in fact i spend money on amory (laughs) (laughs) and time but the point being that once amory is up to a certain income level that's covering your bills megan Mm -hmm. collectively our bills so that we can live then as it grows above that Kyle and I can yield an income from it too. Mm -hmm. As we grow, maybe content, we write a book, we do something inside of it. Mm -hmm. We expand Patreon, we expand sponsors and those types of things. So this is your career. So in one way, Kyle's been contributing to that. There's no income back. Mm -hmm. I've been contributing to that. There's no income back. So this is a non-financial contribution to us collectively in a way. And also as a snapshot right now, currently to be fully transparent, we're making about $500 a month with Amory. And it does, it may go into my bank account and at the same time it gets spent on groceries or actually no, mostly gets spent on post-production of the podcast podcast itself. And so like of that, you're probably making $200 to $300 a month. So really we need you making two to $3,000 a month so that Right. If I'm making two to three thousand dollars a month, you and I collectively cover the nut of our family, food, house, rent, without anybody else, yeah. without any other contribution for us to cover what it costs us to live ongoing, traveling the way we are is about five to six thousand dollars a month. Yeah. I'm at about two to two and a half when I and we're burning some savings. We're burning savings just well, but I could make more, but I'm yeah. not. I'm pursuing Amory and yeah. other projects. Yeah. Hey, it's Kyle. I wanted to take 60 seconds to tell you more about Amory's mission. One year ago, we started Amory with the intention to bring more love into the world. And now, with listeners in 47 countries, I think we're doing just that. But we want to do more, and we really appreciate your support in in getting to that goal that we have, which is really to expand and share and normalize polyamory, but also improve relationships however they are in the world. So we're now in the process of creating a documentary, we're writing books, we're active on Instagram, supporting people, Uh, we're creating content on Patreon. There's so many ways that we want to continue to grow and connect with people and build this community. And we'd love your support and for you to be a part of that community. And the best way to do that is to go to patreon.com backslash Emory podcast and support us there at any level that works for you. We really appreciate you. Now back to the episode.
I think too, what we've agreed is that it's really important for us to find our ikigai, to be the people that we want to be in this world, to add value to the most people that we can and live the way that we want to live. So I think that is our guiding light. I think we're really using money as a resource to say, okay, well, who, who has what money right now and how can we use that in a really smart way so that it supports all of us in a way that, that works. And like I cashed out my retirement savings right before quarantine hit. And that for me was a really significant moment because it was like, I'm taking this idea. It was like the perfect analogy for I am done with my old paradigm of money. This retirement, quote unquote, this retirement account that I've been saving. It We're is, not even going to make it. Like, yeah, right. Like, <laughs> it is serving a, its purpose now. And I fully believe that we are using it in a way, obviously not going out and spending it crazy. And it wasn't a huge sum of money, but it's enough for us to have a little bit more runway to get by. But I, I feel different about that. I feel like it's there. We're using it as we need to. And that I'm very committed to all of us, you know, and your partner included, Marty, really, really having the time and space because I feel so gifted this last year or two. It's really been two years since we left Chicago and really the stripping of identity that questioning myself, who am I in this world? What kind of work do I want to do? And feeling like I was stumbling, stumbling through it until like until this conversation, until I realized, wow, this is the conversation I want to have in the world. This is who I want to be. And I'm so grateful that Marty, you've allowed me this opportunity and you too, Kyle, like you, you contribute to this. You are this, you are, you are Emory. And although it's not necessarily a huge amount of money right now, it is something. And it feels, I feel the best I've ever felt making money. I didn't even think it was possible to feel like this making money. You were resistant to the making money with Emory to begin with. You were feeling guilty for all this stuff. And it's like, at the end of the day, you're providing value and people want to contribute to it. That's it. I mean, so, and what is our reaction when we get a new patron? That's we're like, yeah. $10 a month, $20. I mean, there's, there's so many parts of that, but like the appreciation that I truly feel mm -hmm. when someone does that, it's incredible. It's, yeah, incredible. it's validating something that we're dedicating our life to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and putting in this vulnerability in, and it's like, okay, if I were doing all this vulnerability and no one fucking valued it, it would be hard to continue. It's and now rawest. like if I can pay my kid, pay for my kid's life, if Megan can, cover the nut to pay for our food and our housing through this conversation yeah. and is fully worthy of going all in. Yeah. And I still have my company to grow, but my brother is growing that now it's his 30% ownership and he's the CEO and he runs it and he makes the vast majority of the money. And I make a thousand dollars a month, right. Plus mm -hmm. whatever else I can, I can generate now for me, I'm going to have to pay for this anyway and cashing out these policies. So I want to talk about that too. We have one, one policy left for insurance in case of death, so our kids are covered, mm -hmm. right? Yes. I got a, I got a, a policy when I was 24 years old. I went wild. Universal yeah, variable, variable life, life, insurance, life insurance, whatever. Yeah. But we cashed out, <laughs> we cashed out these other policies that were like more like retirement policies and insurance policies. And at the end of the day, they weren't huge, but they gave us enough runway mm -hmm. because we live as minimalists, and we spend very little. And now, you know, we're in New Zealand. It's too expensive for our bottom line. And I know that we're going to someplace cheaper. And that was the goal of South America originally, mm -hmm. and now Portugal, is that rent's cheaper and that's cheaper. It becomes easier, our runway gets longer, the burden gets, you know, we can take our time to build up more income, but it doesn't have to be any one of us because mm -hmm. it's all of us. And yeah. when Kyle joins in and starts to contribute and started contributing towards rent and then sort of some of the food and some of the fuel, and all of a sudden that burden becomes less. And then my partner mm -hmm. comes in and my brother's even planning to come with us. And this is where we're starting to aim for the future of that nut in the middle goes down 
it mm-hmm. gets paid at what you can pay, mm-hmm. right? Not caring who can carry whatever. And we all work towards that Ikigai and then Amory will grow and it'll be easier for everybody. And my company will grow, it'll be easier for everybody. It requires trust. Yeah, it does. It requires nobody holds money over anybody else's head. Mm-hmm. It's not a power move. Mm-hmm. It's a tool, not a power. Like you don't get power in this family because you're contributing the most. Mm-hmm. You don't. If anything, you get more time to do your work. Yeah. Right? That's about it. If you've got the most contracts, you've got the most work going on, you get extra sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, <laughs> Mostly, I'm like, that's, that's well, I think it's here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's a good point because I think when I've seen you, Marty, take on, you know, more of the, the financial burden and, and doing more contracts and things like that, like it incentivizes me to help out more with the kids or more, mm-hmm. you know, with anything. With Amory, yeah. which is a Amory, huge yeah. part. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. you, you know, man, when we invited you to the Amory team in April of this year. Like, welcome to the team. You're finally all in, right? Like, because, to me. Yeah. yeah, Megan, because you're resistant. When, but when you first got here and we started this collective living together, it was really easy for me to say, hey, I'm covering rent anyway because I have to pay for this family anyway. And there's room and you jump in, you pay what you can, but you also jumped fully all in into Amory and you started producing and contributing and running that show. There's a non-financial contribution right there that has a huge financial impact overall, Mm -hmm. over time, over the energy of what it's become, over Megan fully getting all in, which Mm -hmm. I needed help with because I couldn't convince her to go all in. Yeah, and I think, so that's where this is so meta because we're having this conversation on the platform that is Amory, that is generating income, that is a sense of this new identity for me. And it is, so it's connected, but I think even back to that point, even up to April or before that March, we were maybe making 50, 60, $70 a month. But that's where I was like, oh God, how is this? This doesn't feel like it's going to contribute at the level that I, I want it to. And I wasn't feeling that valued. But when Kyle, when you joined us and then we started ramping up more on Instagram and more doing more podcasts and, and your energy and then doing the articles on Patreon and well, everything then, that you well, put okay. in there, everything that you put in there, like it gave me this sense of momentum. And then, but then we did start seeing reflected and we got more patrons and it was like this beautiful feedback loop. So no, Kyle and I tag teamed you. <laughs> okay right, because that's, that's i was all the, in that's gonna be the quote that starts <laughs> yeah. the episode. i was all yeah exactly <laughs> i was all in on patreon and i was all in on on what your value is in the market in the world mm-hmm. and in the fact that people want to contribute to this narrative and would support that mm-hmm. and i had no doubt fuck no doubt mm. in fact the first patrons were like my friends and family i'm like fucking pay to show that you support her career. Help me show Megan that there is a career here. And they did and they have You're a master at, at momentum creation mm. from, from zero. Yeah. Which yeah. is which is always the hardest. The zero to sixty is my game. Once we're going, I get bored. Right. But like mm-hmm. at the end of the day though, when Kyle joined, mm-hmm. Kyle was also all in. So now there's mm-hmm. two of us all in. Mm-hmm. I now have a counterpart, a partner in this in Amory that is talking to me rationally about money. It's talking to me rationally about growth is looking at the metrics behind it. You were so wrapped up emotionally in it that you couldn't even recognize, Mm. like you shut down our ads Mm -hmm. because you're like, I don't feel like having an ad. There was no, there was no (laughs) research. There was nothing. You're like, people, I I don't. (laughs) And like, I'm sitting here, we had a huge breakdown around this because I'm like, if you're not even going to take the pennies that we're making Mm -hmm. and you shut that shit down, Mm -hmm. then what the fuck am I putting all this effort in Mm -hmm. for this? Like, 
I know like now it's now part of the fucks I give for this effort is the audience and the feedback loops and yeah. the relationships I've created. Yeah. So there is that, but there yeah. is the part that I didn't have, which was like, if you're not all in on this, Megan, mm-hmm. then why the fuck are me and Kyle all in on this? Because you're going to sabotage this unless you change mm-hmm. it. And you did, you turned did. it. Yeah. But I didn't do that without Kyle. Thank you. Thank you guys. And I think one of the orientations that I did get right early on was the the whole like, every time you do something like an input for Emery, like you just made money and you may not see it. Like someone may not be giving you actual currency mm-hmm. or you may not have a transaction in that moment, but everything that you contribute to Emery is valuable to someone else, but mm-hmm. also like it, it's your, you have to literally think. And I was like tricking my mind. Like every time I do something for Emery, like I'm making money mm-hmm. and I had to really, cause I was working through this even just a few months ago of like every time I do a post on Instagram, we're making money. Every time mm-hmm. I do, I write something it's, we're making money. And I had to really change my whole orientation. And it's not just about money at all, but it's, I had to feel like there is, I'm not just like twiddling my thumbs, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. fantasizing. I have clarify. Yeah. I have clarifying. You're not doing something for money. Yeah. Like right. we're not posting on Instagram for, for money. money. Yeah. But by putting an effort in this space, it's contributing money back to me. So it's mm-hmm. not like every post is about making money. It's the collective energy that we're putting in yeah. comes back with income that allows us to keep putting energy in. Yeah. And right? it's, it's a so valuable it's about thing. being sustainable. Yeah. And I think that for me is allowing it's, oh God, and all of these workshops and conferences that I used to go to, they'd be like, you have to know your why, like get your why really clear because they say the why is so important in being able to make money. And I think I never had a why that was that powerful. It was like, whatever, make money to make money. And that didn't ever incentivize me. But when I think about my why, when I get really, really, really clear about my why being creating a world in which people can love whom they want, how they want, and creating a, that loving world and taking a stand for that, I'm like, fuck yeah. And then as that connects down to our life, because right now it's, again, still being totally transparent, it's we're still not sustainable. You know, we're still living, we're living off of what we earn monthly and we're still having burning a, a lot of savings. We're burning a lot of savings, like to be honest, but But what I get is I love this vision of our future, this vision of being together, this vision of having land and really having this collective life together that's sustainable where we're contributing people and they're contributing to us. It like makes me so happy. I'm like, that's a big fucking why that I feel grounded with. So this is where I want to talk a little bit about the future and be excited. So for me, as having carried a bunch of this runway for you Mm -hmm. and having to fight against the grain to change these ideas and get rid of policies and all Mm -hmm. these things. Now, I'm looking at my runway of like my marathon is I can see the light at the end of the tunnel because now my partner and Kyle and my even my brother are committed to coming together to share resources and to to really commit to this future, which is this farm and this idea. So with my runway in the next six months changes significantly Mm -hmm. because with everybody else's contribution, we now make enough to break even and I'm not burning savings. And I think I'm going to get there within the next three to six months. And that's a huge milestone for me, Mm -hmm. right? And that milestone creates a lot of relief and it means that we can pursue these Ikigai projects together indefinitely, Mm -hmm. so long as we cooperate at the center together. So it changes the economic role of, we can all contribute to center. If someone then has some opportunity or some breakdown, they don't have to worry that it's all gonna fall apart. Mm -hmm. 
because the whole group can carry them. And then while we're all safe and we can take a breath and we can take our time, we can put really passionate work into the work that we're doing, choose only the projects that really align with us and grow at a healthy clip. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we were talking about, instead of these earning years, we're now able to grow whatever the flow of that growth is. Because I have a project with my partner who we're doing pay what you want on online courses for transformational courses. And we're building out that platform. I'm working on a project with the Maori Marae that we stayed with that I'm not asking for any money for that maybe something in the future, but I get to work on this food sovereignty project and I get to build out and part, fix their tech and deeply intertwine with the training and, and the roots of this indigenous farming culture. And I only get to pursue that. And I'm finding like my ikigai in that. And it's overlapping with one of my clients from Digital Ninja on a strategy project where they want to do urban gardening, but they want to not be the guys doing it. They want to contribute the capital to it. So I'm like tying, I'm not even in Chicago and able to tie these things together and be part of that. I can only really mm-hmm. pursue that in the future if the collective group comes together yeah. and helps contribute. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited about mm-hmm. the future because now I'm finding my ikigai, my purpose, and I have a team helping support me go into that purpose. And financially we can keep going and everybody's good and we can live at this pace. I'm ecstatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I'm thinking about the future, yeah, I was just thinking about so much. The I mean, there's so many different things that are happening for me. I mean, I've gone from a finance employee, very corporate, to more of an entrepreneur, consultant. And now I've like started to change and train my brain to be like a content creator, but also a coach. And I think I see the future for me as yeah, writing and speaking and different things in the art creative realm. And then also work in in different healing modalities and i think for me yeah i've started to pursue and learn and get trained in in this like hypnotherapy that i went through that was really beneficial for me and that's something that i want to like i don't even know where i want to go with that i want to offer it to people and yeah so the beauty of this now is that because you're collectively helping make money with amory and then because you have these one-off art projects or consulting projects that are now being happened. And because the nut will be so low because there's five of us contributing, right? Like it costs you as low as $600 a month to be fully contributing to the center. You now have the indefinite amount of time mm-hmm. to pursue that and right. make whatever you make out of it and allow it to pivot and mold wherever you wants to go. You can seek it as like a vocation and be uncertain. Yeah. And there's something that changed for me between even just a few months ago and now where I just believe that I'm going to figure it out. I Mm -hmm. believe that it's going to work out. (laughs) Like I've even had, you know, you guys have witnessed me just have people come into my life that I've known for a while. And I have a big network of people that are just willing to pay me for suddenly, you know, but this is happening all over the place. As soon as Megan's brain changed around Patreon, we acquired 20 new patrons. Mm -hmm. And like, as soon as you, change to this abundance model my partner's doing the same thing she's changed her mind to abundance she had to turn down all this work and she's just changed what she does and we're working on ikigai projects and i don't want to get too woo woo but i don't know something science it's like it's It's like quantum quantum well no it's it's a but it's okay this is the fallacy the fallacy is that you need to take every opportunity that comes your way and I've had this conversation with entrepreneurs and entrepreneur identity crisis. Well, it's attraction, like right? You're attracting. Look, opportunities are constantly there, always, for everyone. The problem is that not all opportunities will line up with where you are right now. Sometimes you have to admit that. 
This is a really good opportunity, but not for me right now. Or this is an opportunity, but it's not my opportunity. It's a better fit for someone else. Or this is a false opportunity. It's an opportunity, but it's actually not really. It's it's an opportunity for someone else and not that it's their opportunity that they're painting it as an opportunity. And because if we're looking at life as an opportunistic, we have to take on every opportunity that comes your way and say yes to everything and get trapped. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas it's really about saying no, mm-hmm. being really discerning on, okay, what's really the opportunity I want? Well, what we're all able to do when we get collective on here. Mm-hmm. And what are your boundaries? Exactly. Yeah. Well, we can create boundaries. Like what I'm talking about is the same thing you're experiencing, Kyle. You're experiencing the ability to stumble into the future knowing that some pieces of what you want to do, mm-hmm. but that you can feel confident that the abundance will come because we're going to be sustainable together and it'll just flow. Mm-hmm. Now, if everybody's contributing just a little bit to the center, I get to go deep into a Maori Marais website for and project for them for food sovereignty without having to have, need any money from it, without needing to know where the, any transaction will come from, simply for the wanting of pursuing it and other things come from that because opportunity will always be present. It's just going to be more aligned with me. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, now, uh, yeah, I think the belief that changed for me is that I'm valuable. Mm-hmm. Like I'm valuable yeah. in this new identity. I, yeah. I mean, I had one of our friends just posted on my recent you know, thing that I wrote and they just said, I'm a, a great writer. I, he, he enjoys it. And I think just getting that feedback, mm-hmm. believing that I'm going to figure it out, whether I'm like a journalist that's writing about terrible things going on in the environment, like big companies or like, I'll figure it out, but I know that I have skills. I know that I'm valuable the way that mm-hmm. I see the world, the things that I can't help that are coming out of me are, are valuable. And the amount of that value doesn't quite matter. I, I think it'll be enough based on my limited needs. Yeah. I want to give us all kudos because two years ago, we were not at this space. You know, we neither, like none of us could have sat here and said, I'm valuable for who I am, how I show up doing what I do in this world. That for me is really recent. Obviously, we just talked about it. It's only over the last couple months that I've started to see it. I see that in you, Kyle, over the last couple months. And I see it more in you. I feel like you've kind of, you're maybe a, a step or two ahead, Marty, but you're, you were on that same path. And I think for us to feel valuable in who we are is like, it's huge. It's huge. Yeah, I think for me, the the value thing is that you guys value me for other contributions. You value, mm. and most recently what we talked about is you guys are starting to value the shadow energy or the, mm-hmm. the anger and that type of stuff. And that allows for me to be who I am and not feel unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And so I feel relief in this kind of metaphysically in that way and spiritually. And then on the other side of it, like from a financial standpoint, I hit my stride a little while ago. Mm-hmm. And now like since the quarantine, I've have sharpened my swords of back into the web development and online course development. And I've been working with my brother and our, on our company. And I've been, I'm working on projects that I know the future needs and I'm getting my skills up sharpened, but I'm also working around the clock and I'm in the zone and I'm like feeling all of this mojo, but I don't need to really care about where it's going anymore. Mm. That's the confidence that I have. I didn't have before, which is now, okay. All my skill sets are coming to be presently useful but part of that is because I don't have boundaries. I don't have to sacrifice anything. Mm, yeah. So I have a fun idea to close. Mm-hmm. When you close your eyes, each of us, what do you see when you see like the future and you see the farm and you see yourself there? I mean, I dream about this like probably every day, if not like <laughs> 90 times a day. But 
Yeah, what do you... I mean, Marty, you probably I, I'm gonna fucking do, like, I'm, documents I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to do my four-year snapshot, right? I need to grow... I'm going to be growing my own company, Digital Ninjas. Uh, we're Google partners for G Suite and that type of stuff. I'm going to be growing that user account. Because if I grow to 10,000 users, I'm saleable. If I grow to 30,000 users, I can sell and retire. So I'm aiming at 30,000 users by four years from now. Wait, describe that just for people. If people need someone to transfer, like what is that? (laughs) So Digital Ninja is a partner for Google's G Suite platform for businesses. So Gmail, Calendar, Drive, remote work tools. Mm -hmm. Very happily handy in the the world of the apocalypse right now. (laughs) But we mastered the migration process of taking companies into the G Suite environment and then we co-administrate it. So as each account signs up with us, we end up making recurring revenue on the number of users that are in that pool of so you could use monthly charges. Users. So mm-hmm. more accounts mean more users, more companies we work with. So we have like 130 clients. Now, if I grow that company to 500, 600 clients and I grow that to 30, 40,000 users, I can sell my company to another company that wants to acquire 500 accounts of this particular thing. Because this is not super creative work. This is really consistent business security operations tech. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that's my there. retirement mm-hmm. plan. My brother runs that company. I make a small cut. I stay the president of that company. I own 65% of it. So my real payday on that is if I can ever sell it. Mm-hmm. And if I don't sell it, it'll pay. It's safe. It's in the black. It's whatever. It's small and it's growing and 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 we're consistent. We have happy clients. That's it. Mm-hmm. But that's not my icky guy. Mm-hmm. It's not my pursuit of what I really want to do. Instead, like it's the food sovereignty. I do digital strategy one-on-one with clients. So that's the stuff where I help them with deciding their infrastructure, their web, all of the the whole nine yards. And that I'm now only pursuing clients doing awesome shit. Right. So you have to be (laughs) doing awesome. It's not even good enough, I don't think. Well, yes. Like you have to be changing. Yeah. You have to be up to like you're building communities. You're doing something with food environment. You're good people and you have resources. You're not coming to me with $10. So like I'm not often the most paid person on a project. I'm quite often not one of the least paid people on the projects because I'm like, you need a budget for this type of thing and this type of thing. And as long as they have budget and they have vision and they're good people doing good shit, I pick that project. Mm -hmm. So this is another reason why I don't have an abundance because I won't take just anyone. Mm -hmm. So having this value right now allows me to see this future where I get to sell this company. I'm pursuing stuff around Amory. I really want to document the farm. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to have to make money on the farm. I want to buy the farm with cash. I might want to crowdfund that. I want to do it through the documentary, through books, through Amory, through the sale of my business, whatever it is. But I want the farm to be bought in cash and invested to in cash so that we don't need to make money on it. Mm-hmm. And Which is income. what we hear is a bad idea is, is people that buy a farm to make money is super hard, frustrating. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, we don't want to. Right. No, this is about a practice of food sovereignty and putting into play the changes that we want to see in the world. But mm-hmm. I come from a world of also of building, built the first sustainable home in Chicago's green home certification process with an ecostructure magazine and things like that. I want to express that on this farm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I want to go in and build out net zero little buildings and no till huapatakote principle indigenous farming styles of soil regeneration and agro like food forest and the whole nine yards. I want to practice that for years. I want to spend the first year just rebuilding soil and I want to document it, open source it and give it away. Mm. I want to help save the planet by like Elon Musk style. Like here's this awesome plan. Take it for free. Here's all the infrastructure, how we did it. And I even want to like my vision of the farm is called Fazenda Zona Ozu, which is the 
blue zone, the idea of creating these healthy centers of longevity and and well, really like totally mm-hmm. back to like indigenous <laughs> roots. I think we were talking about this today, working with indigenous people. I don't want to appropriate the religion, the knowledge, the the markings, any of it, the but the, the wisdom of, of food sovereignty and how we should be relating to earth. We should all be indigenous. Everybody in the world should be indigenous because it is primal. Growing your own food is the biggest political fuck you statement. It is you can make. <laughs> the highest form of activism, but it's also they take into account soil and the mana, the relationship with society, the wairua, wairua, which is like the food safety and people safety, and and the soil health and the and what they call the fuckapapa, which is the gene- genealogy, where the seeds come from, how do you seed bank them, where do you come from, where how, what's your relationship to the land? It's all making you think about all of these things and these principles and the Maori system are like similar to all indigenous systems. And I think we should all be returning to indigenous. So my vision for the future is I get to play in a field <laughs> and and exert what the changes I want to see in the world are without having to worry about that, the outcome financially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on that, it's all of that. And <laughs> I imagine the kids growing up, learning all of these things. Oh, yeah, the kids. The kids. Oh, yeah, I remember every kids. <laughs> That's the labor. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. No, I imagine them growing up in learning different languages. So continuing to learn about these principles, learning the land, and then we invite people in. I mean, I've always dreamt one of my, my big visions has been to do retreats. And I would love to have a retreat center there. And I feel like that aligns with, I'll let you talk about Kyle, your portion of that, if that's still part of your dream. Oh, there. Yeah, for sure. yeah. So I, it's not only what we've learned about relationships. So I can imagine talking about relationships. I imagine teaching people about the soil and soil health and just the health of our bodies and cooking and yeah. And cooking Marty will do that part, not me, but I, I mean, and all of this as it relates back to money and finances is that I'm like releasing the stranglehold on needing to control it all and needing to know how it's going to happen and just really falling back on this kind of crowdsourcing mentality of, you know, we could have week long opportunities for people to come visit and be a part on this, on this farm and to learn and to like learn through immersion, which has been always my favorite things. We don't, you know, we have to be around the people to really, to really learn from them. And I want to, I want to create this and I want to learn from other people too, man, we know the coolest people through Emory all around the world. And I like want to create a space where we could get together occasionally. Festivals. And, yeah, like festivals on our land. God, that would be awesome. Sweat lodges and well, no, so ooh, nothing okay. happens by an accident. Like one of my Cut, clients Cut does turn, festivals. Like turn. this is exactly what we want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just when I close my eyes, I I see this like beautiful main house that yeah has a great kitchen, Marty. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. Food is important. Food is the centerpiece of the house. And it's got a big common area where we all hang out. There's a fire pit mm-hmm. or a fireplace. And then there's like, then there's mountains around. There's a big backyard and there's all these people working on, on the land that are our partners, our friends, our <laughs> woofers, our woofers <laughs> that can handle that environment. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, I see my day just being like writing, creative work playing around with inventions and different ideas I have. Running naked through a field, climbing a tree. <laughs> Jumping oh. into a cold lake. On yeah. ayahuasca. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Wait, no, no, there's got to be a sauna in there somewhere too. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you got to warm up. So, yeah, all, of, all of that. Yeah, just having all of these, these different fun things, but just being so close to nature, so close to the land, being able to walk outside 
put your hands in the dirt and have your feet connected to mm. the the forces of the the earth and yeah just being able to yeah to have that access to nature to be able to grow our own food so we feel not only like secure but healthy and we know mm-hmm. where it's coming from and contribute that to the community around us mm-hmm. yeah and i to me it's such a beautiful vision and it's crazy because i think in my darkest darkest times of my life i deeply deeply wanted to just return to a really simple safe healthy life and i just i in those dark dark moments i didn't believe it was possible mm. but something kept me going and i'm thankful for whatever mm. that was because we're here yeah. and and this does feel it feels far away but it feels so close mm-hmm. in in ways that I, I do dream about it all the time because i i believe in in who we are i believe we can, I believe do, we can do anything I, like our, our, our vision is finally the final thing that i've seen that everybody on this this polycule has is belief in themselves mm-hmm and everyone has committed to this vision. And for it's the first time, important. I feel everybody's yeah. committed and everybody's in. That it's possible. And wherever we land in between the ideal dream and where we are right now will be beautiful and wonderful. And I'm going to trust that. Mm-hmm. So I want to yeah. leave this final. I want to wrap up with a few mm-hmm. things for the audience to think about. One, you have to change the way you relate to all things and how you save money. For instance, I don't drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. Saved a lot of money. We do almost every meal at the dinner table with our kids cooked meals, saves a lot of money. These are primal things to return to. Like one of the things you heard many times me say, food, food on the farm, Mm -hmm. food, food sovereignty, food, cooking, cooking, cooking. Like (laughs) you want to change the way you relate to people and each other, cook. Learn how to cook. Mm -hmm. Get really fucking primal. Start. We cut out all these unnecessary expenses, buying shit, going certain places, types of entertainment, ways we consume food. You have to change all of that. Take a look at you know, what you're pursuing in your life and how you can cooperatively work together. And if it's not equal, it can't be equal. And if mm-hmm. it's the, the fairness doesn't come from that. And if you are the one contributing the most, you cannot hold that over anybody. Mm-hmm. That cannot be a power move. It is not a function of power. It's a function of empowerment. I never want any of that held over you, Megan. Thank you. Yeah. Because I feel like we're in this together. I just want consideration that if I'm working 12 hours, let me sleep for three hours. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. No. And if anything, I hope that even by us talking about how we talk about money, like these would have been a conversations over a fire for us to be like, okay, well, where, where are we at? And Maybe we modeled it more than this has never been a how-to podcast. So it's a podcumentary. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so hopefully you got something out of it for, you know, your ability to talk openly and freely and your relationship with money. That's what I would hope people yeah. take from this. If you had the means to support our conversation and help Megan towards this guy and contribute towards our family pursuing these wild dreams, then consider becoming Thanks. a patron. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel what? like even on Patreon, it's even a deeper look at our journey and mm-hmm. what we're all what we're documenting because this is really what we've been talking about now is this is a documentary podcast mm-hmm. we're documenting our journey as we go and the vision used to be oh let's travel around and let's do this and now it's it's getting bigger mm-hmm. uh, we're gonna have more more people involved there's probably gonna be more people jumping in and on the podcast pretty soon <laughs> and in and out and yeah, yeah and then there's I think this farm vision. the reality of the farm vision too is that we've been working on farms and I'm working with a farm infrastructure and we're learning mm-hmm. yeah. the farm systems of New Zealand. Like we're not. <clears throat> and we're I think our audience, <laughs> our, our audience from, if I could generalize our audience, it's a healthy, progressive, open-minded type of person that, that listens. And, and I think they care about all these things. They care about their, where their food comes from and, and better ways to do it. And yeah, I think these are all things that 
that reach this audience that they mm-hmm. that they care about. So, so imagine we can all learn together. Yeah. And that's through your support. So thank you guys. This conversation was very meta. Yeah, it was a good one. Love you. Love you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Amory. We've got so much more that we want to share with you. And our podcast isn't the only platform. We've got written stuff, we've got videos, and we put everything. We've got 50 plus posts now and more and more every day of all of our private journal entries. We're talking our intimate content here. Um, And that's for those of you who wish to go on a deeper journey with us. Um, We think that there's so much more value that we can share with a smaller group of people who are really ready to do the work in your own lives. If that's you, please take a look at our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash Amory podcast. There's so much more that we'd love to share with you. Um, And if you're not able to contribute on a monthly basis, you can always share us. Share with your friends, do a post. We appreciate anything that you can do to help us get the word out to have more vulnerable conversations in this world. Thanks again.